Well, let's open the Bible now to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15 tonight. Uh, we are in the Advent season, so we always take a, a break from kind of normal schedule, which is to, to, to take a book of the Bible and just plow through that. We always take a few weeks during this time and, and look at the Christmas story. We come at this time of year to what uh, some people call the most wonderful time of the year. I might argue for summer instead of winter. I mean, baseball happens in summer. There's no baseball. There's winter baseball. Michael and I watch that. That's about it. Um, but it's not wonderful because of the weather. It's wonderful because of something else. It's wonderful because this time of year, we're all caught up in a story. It's a story of a king coming in an unexpected way who wins a war for his people that they could not win on their own. It's a story that spawned a thousand stories, but no one has ever approved, improved on the original. They can't. It's the best. So let me tell you that story. A long time ago in a place not so far away, a man and a woman lived in a perfect world. They enjoyed God's presence with them. Work was easy, believe it or not, and rewarding. Their relationship with one another was without strain. They had all they needed. It was paradise, truly paradise. But one day, a serpent slithered in with some lies about God, and in their hearts, Adam and Eve believed those lies, and they rebelled against God. But instead of that belief giving them something better, as they thought it would, their rebellion brought something awful into the world. Something God had warned them about, but that they just decided in that moment not to believe. Something so terrible that every person who came after would fear it. It was called death. For every person since that day, death has been the greatest threat. It lurks behind every corner. It hides in every dark room. It shadows every joy. And it's the end of even the greatest of lives. Death is the enemy we cannot avoid facing. And it's the one that we cannot beat. It will come for us all. And the only difference between us is when it comes. Now we've tried to solve the problem of death. I see articles about it all the time. I saw one yesterday. It didn't make any sense to me, but they, they still make these things. We, 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 we've searched for the fountains of youth. Our, our laboratories mine the depths of science for a cure. Medicine can prolong us, but it cannot ensure us. Diet and exercise can extend us, but they alone cannot save us. Of all things in this world, death is the most certain event that will ever happen to us. And because of that, we fear it. We fear the manner, the method, the, the, the reality, and we are enslaved by that fear. It colors all that we do. 
we may not even be aware of that. But you know, something else happened that day in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that one day the woman's offspring would crush the serpent's head under his heel. One day the devil, who was a a midwife for death's birth in the garden, would lose his power to hold death over our heads. One day God's children would get their life back. One day death would die. But then the world kept spinning and centuries upon centuries added together and nation upon nation was founded and flourished and disappeared. But through it all, God's promise never, never, never faded. He never wavered. He never yielded. He kept telling the same story over and over again. The Savior is coming. And one day, not a long time ago, in a place not so far away, when it seemed as if there was no hope God's Savior would ever come, God waged war on death, and his Savior marched into battle. But to everyone's surprise, he wasn't a giant like Goliath. He was humble like David. He wasn't an impressive politician like Caesar. He was a normal person, believe it or not, like you and me. He he was a baby. A baby born in a manger in the city of Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. He was like us, flesh and blood, But though he was like us in that way, he was also unlike us in another way. He was the Son of God, very God of very God, the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. The Savior had come, and surprise of all surprises, the Savior was God himself. We celebrate this story each Christmas season. It's the most wonderful time of the year because it reminds us that God is a God who keeps his promises. He has come to make things right. Jesus, he wasn't just a man who rose up from the ranks of this world. He was God who came down from his heavenly throne to be with us. At Christmas, God came down. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate that incarnation of Jesus, God becoming man. The heir of all things, the creator of all things, the one who, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That one came down to save us. He became like us. So when we see the salvation he has wrought by his blood, we know this is one who saves people like us. Because he was like us. This isn't some theoretical salvation. This is the real stuff. 
Jesus came down not like a Greek God from Olympus to check on things down here, but to become like us in every way except for sin to save us because he knows how things are going down here. Christmas is the story of God becoming like us. And he didn't just make a cameo. He moved into the neighborhood. He came on a mission for a purpose. Which takes us to our text today. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is God's word. Now that's real comfort and joy, isn't it? We see in this, these two verses, two reasons for Christmas. And the first reason is actually for the second reason. The first reason, Jesus made himself like us so that Jesus could conquer death for us. Jesus made himself like us. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. As the author of Hebrews begins explaining God's solution to death, he begins with the incarnation of Jesus. Since the children are flesh and blood, Jesus partook of the same things. Jesus became human because we are human. Jesus needed to be human to save humanity. Our salvation could only come from, from the inside, as it were. Why is that? Why did Jesus need to be human? Have you ever wondered that? If you have, you're not alone. People for centuries have wondered that. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in the 1500s. It asks that question. Question. Why must Jesus be a true and righteous man? Answer. He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Death is something we get because we deserve it. Death is our reward, you could say. It might not be the reward we want, but it's the reward that we are due. We get what we earn. Every person ever born, with one exception, is a sinner. And our sin earns us death. Now that might sound drastic to us. I mean, we think, it's just a little sin. It's, it's not a big deal. I mean, it makes sense that it would sound drastic to us. We're the ones on the hook. 
But God warned Adam and Eve about this. He warns us in the Bible about it. We sin with our eyes wide open. We know what we're doing. We cannot claim innocence. Our guilt is too real. And at some point, each one of us have felt it. I think it helps to understand why death is the reward for sin. And by the way, it's, it's important to understand that by death, I don't just mean physical death. That's not what the Bible is, is merely talking about. It's also eternal death. Sin's rewards are, are not paid out with a death certificate. Death is a reward for sin because of the nature of who God is. God, who is he? He is holy and righteous, right? We sang about that a few minutes ago. By his nature, as a holy and righteous person, he must punish sin. I mean, think if he didn't. Think if there was no justice in this world. If God did not punish sin, how could he be holy and righteous? So therefore, it's for us, it's holiness or else. And as we look at that, it's not as if he hasn't given us enough information. I mean, we have God's law written down. And we don't like to read it, do we? We know what he's asking. But the problem is, even as we read it, we know, we sense way deep down. We can't live up to this. We just can't live up to it. And even if we thought we could, Adam and Eve kind of ruined our shot at it from the very beginning. I mean, the Bible says that we, because of their sin, we inherit a sin nature by birth. But really, we can't blame them too much because we add our own sins on top of that. We're all guilty, and where holiness is not present, death must be. Now, if you look at Romans 6, 23, and you see the wages of sin is death, and you see that you are a sinner, what are you going to do with that? I mean, that's terrifying, isn't it? But there's a second part to that verse that says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is saying there in Romans 6 is that God provides a gift to his children. It's the gift of eternal life. Now, how does that gift come to us? How does Eternal life that we do not deserve come from Jesus to us who are nothing but sinful. It comes to us in Christ himself. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, because God's justice requires a human nature to pay for sin, Jesus had to become like us. And what did he do? He became like us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. He had to partake of the same things. If we are going to be saved, Jesus had to be really, fully, 
truly human. He had to be a perfect man. He had to be a righteous man. He had to be a holy man. And he was. And he had to be all those things because only a righteous man can pay the penalty for unrighteous men. Only a holy man can make sinners holy by his sacrifice. This is the reason for Christmas. We need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. At Christmas, the all-holy God above put on skin and flesh on top of bones and organs and was born as a human baby, just like we were, to save us. In Jesus, God has, this is amazing to me, in Jesus, God has a neck we can hug. He has a laugh that we can hear. He has a face with a smile that we can see. And because of that, he has hands that can be pierced and a side that can have a spear driven into it. He has a righteousness that can be ours by faith. At Christmas, Jesus became diable so that he could die to save us. God didn't outsource that job because he couldn't. This was the plan all along. That's so important to understand. Christmas is not this plan B. This is God's sovereign, good, righteous, holy, amazing plan A. Christmas will never mean very much beyond some vague sense of happiness resulting from, I don't know, the spirit of the season or something. If you don't understand the enormity of what we're talking about. Before anything else, Christmas screams to us, you need a Savior. And Christmas provides that Savior. God is telling us that our most desperate need is fulfilled in Jesus. That's why it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's why it's merry and bright. So reason number one for Christmas, Jesus himself became like us. Now reason number two, so that he could conquer death for us. Let's keep reading. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Only a human Jesus can live for us. And only a dead Jesus can rescue us. The reason for Christmas is Good Friday and ultimately Easter. In Shakespeare's Hamlet, Hamlet says 
Death is the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. And Jesus says, not so fast. He went to that undiscovered country. And he returned from that undiscovered country. And he told us what's beyond. And that reality is the most astounding thing in all this world. Jesus came not only to live the perfect life we failed to live, but he also died the guilty death we don't want to die. And when he did, he secured something for his people that no one else ever could. He secured life for us. And I'm not talking about life right now. I'm talking about life forever. Beyond this life right now. And Jesus secured life for us in in a surprising way. He secured life for us through death. That's barely logical. But you know, in fact, it's very logical. Some things can only be done by going through them. Jesus destroyed death from the inside, as it were. He destroyed death by going through it. In all human history, there has not been and there will not be anything greater than that accomplishment. It is the pinnacle of what we can do, meaning humanity. Jesus did it for us. Everyone in the world is looking for a solution to death. Everyone is. No one wants to die. Not really, not truly. It hangs over our heads. We fear it. We're we're enslaved to it. Death is, as one commentator put it, not only an event that awaits us, but a power that rules us. The fear of death plays itself out in, in, in a million different ways. It's the reason for our midlife crisis. It's the reason for our despair. It's the reason for our anxiety. It's the reason that we hold on to things more tightly than we ought. Death rules over us. But the author of Hebrews wants us to see how this great enemy has been dealt with in Christ's hands. Because Jesus has gone through death, He has destroyed the one who has the power of death. He has destroyed the devil. Just even mentioning the word devil, (laughs) some of us barely believe that. But the Bible says he's real. Now, this doesn't mean that the devil ceases to exist. That's not what he's saying. He's still around. But he's not who he once was. He doesn't have the power he used to have. He once had the power over death, but Jesus ripped that from his hands. You know, it does beg the question, though, how did the devil gain the power of death to begin with? I mean, isn't God sovereign over all? How did that happen? Well, to answer that, we have to look back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. The devil ushered death into the world in the Garden of Eden by tempting Adam and Eve to sin. And because he introduced sin, he introduced death in a way. 
when God passed that death sentence on sin, the devil frightened our conscience and brought us into slavery under the fear of death. He now had something to work with. Yeah, you are a sinner. You don't deserve the love of God. Don't you know that? What's wrong with you? That's why Satan is called in the Bible the God of this world. He's the author of sin and the enslaver of those under sin's penalty. But then Jesus stepped onto the battlefield and he was dressed not in armor fit for another, but dressed like us in flesh and bones and skin that could be pierced and blood that could be spilled. When Jesus died upon the cross, he entered death with all the sins of all God's people, and he took those sins into the grave with him. But then he did something the devil wasn't prepared for. He rose from the grave, but he left those sins down there buried. When he rose on the third day, Jesus ripped the sword from the devil's hand. His ability to hold our guilt over our heads was gone, and it is still gone. The sting of death has been taken away because Jesus bore it on the cross. The devil has no power to condemn us any longer because Jesus has made us right with God now and forever. On the cross, Jesus took our guilt. But he didn't just do that. On the cross, as Jesus took our guilt upon himself, he also gave back his righteousness to us. He took our shame and he gave back his holiness. And this was a real transfer. He really took our sins and he really gave us his righteousness. It is, his righteousness is as much ours is as it is his. Because on the cross, our sin was as much his as it, ours, as, as it is ours. I don't know that I said that very well, but I hope you get what I meant. There's that great transfer. It was real. It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't just a hopeful transfer. It's yours. If you believe in Christ, it's yours right now. And no one will take that from you. No one can. That's why, as we saw in our Colossians series, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them in the cross. The devil's power was destroyed, utterly destroyed by the death of Christ. And since death is dead, the fear of death isn't what it once was, is it? If death is dead, what about it do you have to fear? By his death, when Jesus defeated our great enemy, he also delivered us from great slavery. 
death no longer hangs over our heads. We no longer need to fear the judgment to come. Because Jesus has taken that judgment upon himself on the cross. We no longer need to ensure that we wring every ounce out of this life because it's all we have. Bucket lists might be great, but you know what? It's okay if you don't do everything on them. We aren't enslaved to fear anymore, to the fear of death anymore. We don't have to be. We are free because Christ set us free. So we can say to death, as Paul did, where is your sting? If you have Christ, your death day, this is surprising, your death day can be the greatest day of your life. We don't have to fear it. Death cannot destroy you. Because Jesus has conquered it. All death can do for the Christian believer is usher that believer into the waiting arms of his or her Savior. Death will separate you from this world for a while, but it will not separate you from God. In fact, it will just unite you to him even greater. Now that's freedom. Church history helps us see what this freedom looks like. And as we close, I just want us to hear a few of these stories because, I mean, Dustin talks about it a lot. Church history has this ability to galvanize our faith, doesn't it? When we see that we, we aren't the first ones to endure this, it really helps. John Wesley the English evangelist in the Great Awakening. He was on a ship heading across the Atlantic Ocean from England to Georgia. This is a long time ago. This wasn't a cruise liner. This was a, a wooden boat. I mean, we, we would probably look at it and be like, you're going to go across the ocean on that? Well, on that boat, there were two groups of people. There were his English countrymen, and there was a group of uh, a German Moravian Christians. And one day, the Germans had a church service on the boat's deck. And as they were singing hymns to God, this huge storm came upon them. And Wesley was terrified. Here's what he said about it in his journal. In the midst of the psalm, wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were, you, were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. From them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that fears God and, then, and, then, and, then, and him that fears him not. D.L. Moody, the 19th century evangelist, said, 
Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. F.B. Meyer, he was a a pastor and a friend of D.L. Moody. He was near death. He had actually just kind of learned he he was about to die. He had been suffering, and he learned it was near his time. So he, he dashed off a postcard to his friend. I raced you to heaven. I'm just off. See you there. (laughs) Donald Cargill was a Scottish Reformed preacher who was hung in 1681 for his Reformed preaching. Can you imagine that? As he faced his execution, he said, This is the most joyful day I ever saw on earth. I am no more terrified of death because of sin than if I had never sinned. For all my sins are freely pardoned and washed thoroughly away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. His wife uh, died of cancer, and he was left with the four kids, and they were all under the age of 12 when she died. And one day they were driving down the road, and this big semi-truck was driving right next to them in the lane. And he, he noticed that the, the shadow of the truck just kind of covered their car. And he said to the kids, Would you rather be run over by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And one of the wise kids said, The shadow, of course. And he replied, Well, that's what's happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her. Because death itself ran over Jesus. It's a good father. In the third century, in the city of Carthage, Perpetua was a recently married mother of an infant son. She and others from her church were arrested for being Christians. They didn't do anything else. They were just Christians. In fact, Perpetua was uh, going through kind of their catechism class. She wasn't even a member of the church yet. They were arrested and sentenced to execution. But it wasn't like they were going to be taken out and shot or hung. They were going to be fed to the wild beasts for paying customers entertainment. When they heard their fate, they returned to their prison glad to be able to die for the glory of God. Perpetua's father came to persuade her to deny her faith and to live, but she wouldn't. In fact, she said, I'm unable to call myself anything other than what I am, a Christian. When the day came, a bull tossed her in the air and her hair came undone. And she asked for time to put her hair back up because undone hair was a sign of mourning and this was a day of joy for her. There was another girl that, there that day in Carthage. She was a slave named Felicity. She was pregnant at the time of her arrest, and it was against Roman law. I mean, you know, the great Romans. It was against Roman law for pregnant women to be executed until their child was born. She didn't want to face execution alone. She wanted to go with the rest of her church members. 
with the rest of her Christian friends. And so she asked them that they would pray to God together for her child to be born in time. God answered that prayer. During childbirth, Felicity cried out in pain, and the prison guards mocked her, asking how she could face the wild beast if she couldn't even stay silent during childbirth. And here's what she said. Now alone I suffer what I'm suffering, but then there will be another inside me who will suffer for me because I'm going to suffer for him. When it's your turn to die, what can you expect by faith? You can expect the same thing. If you will believe what Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 say. What the entire Bible says. What Christmas says. These were not superhuman people. I mean, we look at them as if they are, but they weren't. They were regular people like me and you. They were normal Christians. All they had is all that we have the gospel of Christ, and faith in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were free from the fear of death because they were free from the consequences of death by the grace of Christ, just as you are if you believe. They knew that they were free. They knew that even through death, there was life. And if you trust Christ, you need to know that too. And you can take hold of that. You can make that your very own. It's the gift of God to you. Jesus is your death defeater. He is your Redeemer. He is your Savior. When it's your turn to die, He will come and get you. You need not fear. This is the reason we call this the most wonderful time of the year. This is the reason that we sing joy to the world. Because a long time ago, in a place not so very far away, the curse of sin entered the world, but then Christmas came. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have a new song to sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. We are free. We are loved. We are bought with a price. So we can rejoice. Of all people, we can rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this truth. We thank you the work done on our behalf 
We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.